Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 26 from Delving into Islam Q&A. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to keep up with the release dates of the episodes or any announcements, you can follow me on Instagram at delvingintoislampodcast. Again, Delving into Islam podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Now, uh, delving into Islam Q and A is a shorter version of our you know main topics, and uh, in it I directly answer your questions. But actually, today's Q and A is is a little bit different. So th- this is not coming from someone in specific. This is technically a follow up. Today's uh, again Q and A is a follow up to the previous uh, uh, you know one of the previous main topics. Uh, by the name of Animal Rights in Islam, it's already released. If you guys, you know, are interested, please go back and listen to it. There, it, it basically, it has very fascinating, contains very, very fascinating stories about you know the animal rights in Islam and how the Prophet وسلم, and the companions, uh, you know, used to treat animals and all the rulings and all these things. They are Subhanallah, Allah, fascinating stuff. Again, if you have not listened to it yet, please go back and do so. Uh, now. Within the topic, I was talking briefly about, you know, how the Prophet was talking about his camel, Qaswat, and he kind of compared Qaswat, again, Qaswat is the name of the camel of the Prophet to uh, the elephant. And he said, uh, basically, Qaswat, just to make it, again, for those of you who uh, didn't listen to the episode, Qaswat came at the plains of Hudaybiyah, which is a place where they had the peace treaty. And then it sat down and it wouldn't move. And then the Prophet would say, Qaswa, go ahead, let's let's go, let's go. But then it would not move. And then the companion said, Well, Qaswa now is is basically has is, is rejecting the commands and it doesn't want to move. And the Prophet said, By Allah, no, Qaswa never does this. You know, Qaswa always listens. But the one who stopped the elephant is the same one who is stopping Qaswa now, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who stopped the elephant back in the day, and that's the, the story today, is the same one who stopped Qaswa. And of course, there was a wisdom for that and all for the for the Muslims to camp there and all these things. Now, the Prophet compared Qaswa to the elephant. So what is the story of the elephant? I know briefly we mentioned it, but now I want to get, because it's a fascinating story, Wallahi. And uh, there's a whole chapter in the Quran called The Elephant about that story. So there's an entire chapter, it's a very short chapter, like it's it's literally five verses and five short verses uh, uh, about the incident of uh, the elephant or al-fil. The word fil in Arabic means elephant. So again, the chapter, it's called the chapter of al-fil or the elephant uh, and it has only five verses. It basically briefly, but then we know from the seerah, from the from the from the sunnah of the Prophet what actually happened in a lot of detail. So the details are not mentioned in the chapter itself. It's mentioned in you know in the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam for one simple reason. 
back in the day, there was no calendar, right? So the, the, the companions, or not the companions even, the, the Arabs before Islam, they used to mark years by significant events. Okay, do you get it? So they, they don't have the year 2023, for example, that didn't exist then. But they, they could mark it by saying, this is the year where this took place. So they call it the year, for example, if, I don't know, if uh, something happened, like they discovered, um, I don't know, any dinosaur remains or anything like that, like, okay, for example, in one city, then they'll call, they'll call it the year of the dinosaur, something like that. So that year where the events of the elephant took place, they called it the year of the elephant, Ayamul Fil. Again, because they could not name the years or they could not uh, number the years, right? So it was that the entire year was called Amul Fil, the year of the elephant, okay? And in that year, for those of you who know, the Prophet وسلم, was born. So the Prophet, وسلم, because we don't have any digits, any numbers, we know that the Prophet was born because, by the way, the Islamic calendar starts after the emigration of the Prophet from Mecca to Medina. It does not start by the birth of the Prophet That's why you'll never know. I want you to just think about this. The, our Islamic calendar, it starts with the first year of Hijrah, the year when the Prophet made the emigration from Mecca to Medina. But we don't know, we, there, there are no numbers before then in the Islamic calendar. Do you, do you guys get it? So again, the Prophet was born in the year of the Elephant, I am Wilfil. So that is why we hear about it in the biography of the Prophet. Now, to summarize the story, and again, the story is not uh, a very complex one, but it's just fascinating. So there was an Abyssinian, Abyssinian is, is Abyssinia is Habasha, which is right now what you call uh, Ethiopia. Uh, so the, there was uh, an Ethiopian uh, king, right, or ruler. Uh, now, the Ethiopian emperor, the Abyssinian, basically, king himself, uh, was always given the title of Najashi. Again, anybody who would rule Abyssinia would be called Najashi. And they were predominantly Christian until the time of the Prophet where the Najashi then, it's like Caesar, basically, right? Caesar is not the name of one person, it's a title. So again, Najashi is a title. It's like again, like I said, the, the Julius Caesar was a name of you know the, the the emperor, the ruler. But then afterwards, derived from his name, or it was taken from his last name, Caesar. Caesar itself became a title. So a Najashi was again the the ruler of Abyssinia at the time, the king of Abyssinia at the time, and then he assigned someone, a ruler. A, a sub-king, if you want to call one of his, basically, people to rule Yemen. And that person's name was Abraha. Again, Abraha was an Abyssinian king on Yemen. He was not the Abyssinian king. I just don't want to confuse you. The Abyssinian king was a Najashi. And the Najashi assigned Abraha to rule Yemen. It's that simple. Now, uh, again, like I said, Abraha was Christian. And, of course, when he uh, was taking over Yemen, controlling Yemen, he started building churches and he wanted to build a big church in Yemen. And actually he did build a big church in Yemen called Qulais. And he did that so people, because he heard about Mecca and he heard about people, you know, uh, 
going and doing pilgrim uh, in in Mecca and they doing Hajj and they don't. Of course, back in the day, Hajj was shirk. It was not the the Hajj that we know today, right? It was derived from the time of uh, Prophet Ibrahim, uh, peace be upon him. But again, they used to commit shirk while performing Hajj. Because they used to say, and, and I mentioned this in season four, they used to say, La ilaha illa ant illa ma shariqun lak. Basically, they used to say, nowadays we say, Oh Allah, there is no God but you, there is no deity but you. Back in the day, they used to say, Oh God, there is no God but you, except for those that you hire as associates, meaning the idols. You guys get it? So it was, of course, manipulated, and the Prophet came to abolish the shirk way of doing hajj and uh, you know establish the monotheistic way of performing hajj it's a little bit of information for you here so anyway so the people used to do hajj because some people might hear and be like wait people used to go to mecca before islam because this was definitely before islam yes because that that, that concept of hajj came from prophet uh, prophet ibrahim peace be upon him was the one who technically built kaaba as we know it today of course, it was modified and it was reshaped and, you know, reconstructed many times, but as we know it today. And so there was a pagan ritual with Hajj back in the day. Of course, after the death of Prophet Ibrahim and, you know, his, his children and all these things, people introduced idolatry into the Arabian Peninsula and all these things happened. I don't want to, again, deviate from the story. But anyway, people used to go perform Hajj in a pagan way, you, you know, um, and Abraha did not like that. He was Christian. She was like, okay, I'm going to build a big church. And then people will, instead of going to this this place in, in Mecca, the, to Kaaba, they'll come to my church and they will embrace Christianity. At the time, after they built that church, a man from the tribe of Banu Kinana, a man from the tribe of Banu Kinana, again, this is all from Quraysh, uh, he was in Yemen and he decided to just vandalize the church. He's like, oh, this guy's like trying to compete with us. He's trying to, you know, pull people away from Mecca because, again, at the same time, it was business to them. I mean, until up until today, the, the government who's responsible, they, they get money and wealth from you paying fees to go and do hajj, which is, is not haram. Again, it's they, they take care of it. They, they, they do what they can. However, maybe you can argue that the prices now are ridiculous, but again, this is to them back in the day also was business. Now, so the man goes and tries to vandalize and he does actually successfully vandalize the church and Abraha finds out. Of course, when Abraha found out about this, he just loses his mind and he decides to go and attack Kaaba. He's going to be like, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to demolish it. So people will have no choice but to come and pray in, in the church. Um, so what happened is he sent to the Najashi, his boss, basically, in Abyssinia. Like he's like, I'm about to, you know, have a mini war against the people of Quraysh and fight, you know, and destroy Kaaba. So the Najashi, uh, as a sign of support, sent him his magnificent in size elephant. He sent him an elephant and he says, this should be your basically tool in war. Of course, he rode on the elephant, uh, Abraha rode on the elephant and with him there were uh, like an army and they started marching towards uh, Mecca to destroy the Kaaba. Of course, the Arabs heard about this and they did not like this, right? So on his way, uh, the king of Himyar, now Himyar is also in a place in Yemen. Now, he was a ruler of Yemen 
the headquarters, if you want to call it, the main city of Yemen, but there were out the outskirts of Yemen, there were other cities in Yemen who were not under his ruling. So the king of Hamyar, which is again in Yemen, went uh, to battle with him. He wanted to stop him because again, Mecca was a big deal even for pagans uh, back in the day. And of course, the king of Hamyar uh, lost the battle and he was actually held captive. Then he kept marching and then some many Arab you know, leaders decided to stand against him and fight him, but they all lost. Because, you know, first of all, the, 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 the elephant factor uh, is scary to your enemies. So what happened is they would lose everybody that they would go against or would go against them because they're not going to war with any tribe. They just want to go destroy Kaaba and come back. That is technically their purpose. So anybody who would go against them would uh, lose the battle and he would kept on holding them as captives. Uh, then he reached, look at this, a Ta'if. Now the infamous Ta'if at the time. Now, alhamdulillah, it's it's a beautiful city. But back in the day, they were uh, up until they humiliated the Prophet Sallallahu uh, when he tried to preach to them. They were just devious uh, people back then. And so, of course, they offered help. They were like, we're not going to war with you, Abraha. You're good. We know what you can do. We're actually going to send support and help and we'll send you guide, send with you guide to tell you where to go and how to, you know, break and destroy the Kaaba. And of course, the Ta'if, the reason why they agreed to this because they were in, in competition with Quraysh. Because again, Quraysh was getting all that money, all that business from uh, the Kaaba and they hated that fact. So it was also for their own benefit for the Kaaba to be destroyed. Now, uh, they got to Mecca, and when they got to Mecca, uh, Abraha sent a mini army led by uh, Al Aswad ibn Mafsud. Now, that person, Al Aswad, was again, he's basically second in command or whatever, his right hand. So he went there and he raided Mecca and stole all the money in the haram by the Kaaba. He stole all the money in the haram from, you know, the pilgrims, from the sellers, from all the businesses. They took all the money and they also stole uh, about 200 camels. Okay? Now, those 200 camels, they were owned by Mecca's leader at the time. So those 200 camels, again, they stole more than 200, but 200 of the camels they stole were owned by the leader of Mecca. Uh, which was Abdul Muttalib. Now, for those of you who think that name is familiar, it's because Abdul Muttalib was the grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Abdul Muttalib was the grandfather of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And like we said, in the same year, this is the year where the Prophet Sallallahu is born or was born. Now, anyway, Abraha sends a messenger to the people of Mecca telling them that he's not there to fight them like we said i'm not here to fight you i'm here to destroy the kaaba and leave if you're going to let me do this we're good if you're going to stand in my way i'm going to destroy you as well so that basically was his uh, kind of threat and he said i want to talk to your leader now so of course abdul muttalib is brought to abraha and uh, abdul muttalib again the president we always said that he was e extremely handsome he was well spoken he looked you know looked like a leader right and of course, he took that from, uh, genetically at least, he took it from his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, because Abraha even describing him the same way. He was very good looking, very well put together. You know, he would speak well. 
And Abraham was like, okay, this is a worthy leader now, right? So he went there and he uh, basically was technically, surprisingly, was glorifying Abdul Muttalib. I'm coming here to destroy your Kaaba, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, you look like a good leader and I'm willing to negotiate with you and talk with you. And basically there was no negotiation. He was going to, that was his goal. I will, I'm going to destroy the Kaaba, but tell me what you want. You know, like, what, like I don't want to fight you. So tell me what do you need for me to fulfill this task? Now, here's the interesting part. Abdul Muttalib said to Abraha, I'm not here to oppose you, by the way. I'm not here to negotiate with you or try to make you change your mind. Do what you please with the, with the Kaaba. I just want my 200 camels. That's it. At this moment, Abraha was like, wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. Technically, in other words, you're here not to stop me from destroying the Kaaba. You're here because you want your 200 camels. And Abdul Muttalib said, yes. Here's the interesting part. Abdul Mut- uh, Abraha, when he heard Abdul Muttalib saying this, he said, you know what? And this is recorded, again, this is recorded in the biography of the Prophet, I'm recorded in history. He said, when I first saw you, I thought you were a great leader. And I liked how you held yourself. But once you opened your mouth, I lost respect for you. Basically, you're talking like foolish talk, right? So he said, I'm here to destroy a symbol of your belief and religion. And all you care about is 200 camels? What kind of a leader are you? Look how Abdul Muttalib responded. He said, listen, I am the Lord of these camels. I'm the owner of these camels. So I need to take care of that. You know, I need to take care of them. They they are uh, I'm the basically the caretaker of these camels. I need I need them for, you know, economy, for business, for wealth. I need them. The Kaaba has a lord. Allah is the lord of Kaaba. Again, like I said, they used to believe in Allah even in the days of Jahiliyyah, right? They used to believe in Allah, but the problem is they believed that Allah had associates aka uh, uh idols and uh, you know, statues and idols and whatnot. But they believed in Allah. So he said, Allah is the Lord of the Kaaba and he shall take care of it as well. So I want to take care of my 200 camels. God, Allah will take care of his Kaaba. That's it. That simple. Now, at this point, Abraham was like, you know what? Your God can't do any, because <laughs> he believed that uh, Abraha is Christian So eventually They worship the same God What they call again The father So Abraha Out of ignorance Does not know that We're talking about The same God here Right And again They're both Views of God uh, the, the views of, uh, of Of Abdul Muttalib And the view of Abraha They're both Are skewed That that's not the true Like uh, Allah is not The father of anyone Nor Allah has associates So bo- they both Have a flawed drastically significantly flawed idea of who Allah is but they eventually believe in the same god right so he said your god won't stop me and i shall destroy the kaaba and here you go i will send with you back your 200 camels so abdul muttalib takes his 200 camels or or around the 200 camels and goes back to where he you know to his house or his you know if you're going to call headquarters whatever he was sitting at and then abraha starts marching 
uh, on his uh, on his elephant, taking with him his army to basically destroy the Kaaba. Here's the interesting part. Here's why the the the, the story is called Al Fil, the elephant. The elephant stops marching. So in front of the Kaaba, uh, a little bit in front of the Kaaba, with a distance, the elephant wouldn't go anywhere near it. Okay. They tried everything. All right, let's let's help it move. Maybe maybe there's something going on. Is it fed? Is it you know? But the elephant would not move, which was very interesting, right? The elephant—they're known. They are—they have a lot of you know a lot of energy, a lot of power. Uh, they're good. They, they they would walk and walk because look at their subhanallah massive size. So they made a, a little bit of an experiment. They made the elephant turn around. And basically head out away from the Kaaba. In that case, the elephant actually moved. And it started walking away from the Kaaba. Subhanallah. Then we're like, okay, okay, now it's moving. Okay, maybe there's something going on here. Let's turn it around again and let it face Kaaba and let it head towards Kaaba and get closer to it so we can destroy it. Once they turned the elephant around, the elephant would not move. Of course, something was going on. And of course, we know what was going on as Muslims. The Prophet told us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prevented the elephant from taking one step further. That's it. The elephant, the creator of the elephant, commanded the elephant to stop. Same thing that the Prophet said happened with his own camel. They kept pushing it, beating it. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. It would not move. It would not budge. Then while they're baffled by what's going on, and they're trying to comprehend what's going on, they saw birds coming out of nowhere. Massive number of birds. We don't have a description of the birds, but again, what we have is that they were holding, each bird was holding three small rocks. If you want to call pebbles. Hijaratun min sijil. That this is mentioned in the chapter of the elephant. So again, each bird was grabbing or holding three pebbles, three small rocks. Each bird was holding one rock in its beak and two in its feet. So one in each foot. So that's a total of three for each bird. Again, one in its beak and two in its feet. And then they came right on top of the army and they dropped those pebbles. Subhanallah, and again, this is a miracle from Allah. The pebbles dropped so fast, so strong, and they penetrated the bodies of the army like bullets. Like bullets. Literally, it started going through their bodies, killing them instantly. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine like they're like flying on birds, people flying on birds, having machine guns and, you know, shooting at the army. Uh, down like on the ground that was exactly the same way birds dropped their pebbles dropped their rocks and they became like bullets subhanallah so most of the army died most of the army of course nothing harmed the elephant or anything like that but the people died and when people and the, the rest of the people so the most of the army died the rest started fleeing away from mecca literally leaving Mecca in its entirety. That's it. We don't want to be in this land anymore. And of course, the, on top of him was Abraha himself, the leader. 
Now, while fleeing back to Yemen, Abraha was hit with a disease that was unknown. They could not figure out what was that disease, what caused it, and how to cure it. So on his way, fleeing to Yemen, his body parts were, like literally, his limbs were falling off. Subhanallah. It started with his fingers, his hand, his basically entire arm, feet, falling off. Like melting, subhanAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from his punishment and wrath. Can you imagine this? What's even worse that each limb fell off in a different town. Can you imagine? Like he had his arm falling in one town, his leg falling in another town, and it was subhanAllah, the, one of the worst punishments. One of the worst punishments. And that also applies to those who were fleeing with him. They were all hit with the same disease. Now here's the crazy part. There, they, they, they could not, they want to go back, rush back home so they could be cured, see a, a physician or a doctor that could help him. But as soon as they stepped back into their town, which is the place in Yemen, they instantly died. Subhanallah. So that was the story, really in a nutshell. Now, what we take away from that story, first of all, when Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, said, no, uh, Allah will protect the Kaaba, we cannot apply this rule in today's world. Abdul Muttalib basically, and Abdul Muttalib was not a believer, by the way. He was a disbeliever. He was not a believer. He, he believed in paganism. But at the time, uh, you know, okay, he, they saw a massive army. They could not do anything about it. People were going to lose their lives. But today, in today's world, you have to, again, after Islam, this was pre-Islam. Now, after Islam, you should do your absolute best to fight for your religion and leave the results up to Allah. You do your best. If you can't do something, you can't do it. But if you can, you have to do it. So we completely disagree. Yes, he has a belief that God will save the Kaaba. Wonderful. It's admirable. But you do not just say, I'm going to let it go to Allah. Allah will, will take care of it. I, I'm not going to do anything about it. That's not how a Muslim should behave. This is actually sinful in Islam. You do your best and you leave uh, you know, uh, the results and taking care of things up to Allah while doing your best. You can't be lazy, right? Like I said, like I always say, I always make that example. You can't not say, I want a job, but then you stay home. You don't prepare for an interview. You don't study. You don't try to work. And then you say, well, why am I not getting a job? Allah should take care of this. I made dua to Allah to get a job, but I never got a job. Something is wrong. Yeah, you have to work for something and make dua to Allah for Allah to take care of it and Allah shall take care of it, inshallah, while you're doing your job. Like what's happening in Palestine right now, for example. You, you can't just be like, well, we are, in a, uh, we are upon a truth. Allah will take care of you know, the Palestinians, our brothers and sisters in Islam. Don't worry about it. We, we will just sit and wait. No. Allah did not tell you to do that. Allah said, if you have any power to stop uh, your brothers and sisters or stop any wrong happening in the world, if you have the power to do it in, again, in a way that's Islamic, not hurting civilians, not hurting innocent people in a very, what's the word, in a moral way, right? Then you should do it. And Allah will take care of the results because all we can do is try, right? All we can do right now is try. 
But at the end of the day, the result is up to Allah. Because some people try and they fail. So what you do is you try your best to defend you know, our Muslim brothers and sisters in Palestine, all over the world, if you can. Financially, politically, whatever, any way, uh, in any way, shape or form, any way you can. And leave the results up to Allah. But people who sit down and say, well, Allah will take care of them and we'll wait for, the, you know, for victory. Victory is coming. It's coming on its own. Don't worry about it. No, that's not how Muslims should behave. Victory will come. This is a promise from Allah through the true believers. And Allah will give them aid that we won't even be able to comprehend. We know that. It happened in the Battle of Badr, 300 versus more than 1,000. 300 of the Muslims, of the believers, versus 1,000 or more than 1,000. And who came and fought with the believers? Angels. Angels. And even the enemy started citing, uh, who became later, you know, they converted later and they became Muslims. But they said, we saw strange fighters fighting that they did not look like, you know, they didn't seem like normal humans. And they had like almost superpowers in the battle. That, that was during the Battle of Badr. Did the Muslims sit down and say, well, Allah will, will fight that war for us? Like again, remember the children of Israel? No, we do not do that. We do not say Allah will fight the fight for us. This is our test in life. This is our test in life. So again, we cannot apply the, the, the logic of Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet in saying, oh, we're going to abandon everything. We're, gonna, we're not going to do anything and Allah will take care of it. We cannot as Muslims apply that today. So that is number one. Number two, do not underestimate Allah's wrath. Unfortunately, a lot of people do. If Allah does not show you his wrath now, Rest assured, you will see if you're doing something terrible, you know, if, if you're being a, a horrible person, or if you're witnessing someone who's doing horrible things, being evil to people, rest assured, punishment will take place, whether in this life or in the hereafter. You know, it's a mercy from Allah to see the punishment in this life, will lie. Because in the hereafter, yeah, you're done. You're done. There is the, the punishment will be extremely severe and there is no nothing to save you. Like in this world, some people might die from severe pain. This is mercy for them. Imagine on a day of judgment from severe pain, you can't even die. You have to live it for eternity. Can you imagine? Death itself is mercy sometimes. On a day of judgment, death is not there. Another thing we need to, and this is going to be the final point that I make uh, before we conclude, everything in this existence takes permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to operate. Rivers, trees, animals. Literally, permission has not been given for the, for the elephant to move forward, to take one step forward. Guess what happened? The elephant could not take one step forward. Every single thing my dear brothers and sisters every single thing will lie whether you see it or not takes permission from Allah by the way you wake up every day by a permission from Allah because when you go to sleep Allah takes your souls up then Allah decides to put them back in your bodies if Allah does not decide to put your soul back in your body you're dead you're not going to wake up that's it even your breathing comes from Allah by a permission from Allah do not forget that. 
So again, I wanted to just follow up with, with, with the story and I hope, you know, I was able to clarify the story and you guys learned something from it. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.